Hey, welcome to Night School, and this is going to be something of a free-for-all episode. Hey, everybody, it's a free-for-all. Hey, it's a free-for-all, everybody. Come on, come aboard. It's free for everybody. You didn't tell me this was going to be a fight. A fight. <laughs> I didn't know it was that kind of free-for-all. Free-for-all. Is this a free-for-all? I'm going to start a... Uh... I'm going to start a buffet. Once all this is over, I'm starting a buffet, and I'm going to call it Free For All. Free For All. But, um, yeah, I got a couple quotes on my mind, and one of them, it comes from one of the early documentaries that had come out on Westboro Baptist Church. It might have been the Louis Theroux show. When Louis Theroux had that show, he would investigate a different group, interview a different group or phenomenon in each episode. And one of them, he went to Westboro Baptist Church, and it was probably one of the first times I heard about them. I don't know how well-known they were at that time. I mean, now they're a household word. They really are, Westboro Baptist Church. I mean, more people are going to know who that is. They're going to at least be able to guess who that is than people who would say it doesn't sound familiar at all. Uh, and speaking of that, you know, there's such a great example of, you know, just the theme recently of when you give something attention, you it causes it to grow. I mean, Westboro Baptist Church, their whole platform is based around getting as much attention as possible. They have this extremely hostile <laughs> style, and they're not looking to make friends, but they are looking to get attention, and they got it. And, you know, I gave them attention because I think they're fascinating. I mean, I'm glad they got some level of attention because... You know, their weird psychological war is bizarre and fascinating, and I would rather learn about people like them than not. But they also, of course, feed, and I think this is where they get most of their their diet, I don't know what to say, but this is they definitely feed on negative attention for sure. You can see the people who are actually trying to engage the Westboro Baptist Church, I've got to try to change their opinion. I've got to disagree with them. I've got to set the record straight. I've got to set the record straight and say, you know, you guys are wrong. I've got to tell you. You know, you got to give, we got to do a counter protest. You know, we got to play their game, you know, give them attention. So if you're trying to get rid of them, if you're trying to like shut them down, if you feel like Westboro Baptist Church's opinions don't deserve to be heard, you shouldn't give them any attention, even negative attention, especially negative attention. But, you know, if you do think people should see, I mean, I'm of the opinion that people should be exposed to them because they're not going to convert. The number of people they could potentially convert is so, you know, tiny compared to the number of people who are going to be repelled by that way of thinking. There are more people who probably, who might have thought, oh, you know, I don't really like gay people, but then they saw the Westboro Baptist Church on TV and thought, oh, well, you know, I don't really want to be like those people either. So I'm just going to kind of not think anything. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who honestly have had that experience. You know, it's a lot easier to live your life by looking at examples of what not to do. And I think a lot of people can look at a group like the Westboro Baptist Church and say, oh, you know, I don't want to be anything like that. Even if I, even if you're a right-wing Christian fundamentalist who does have some of the same views as the Westboro Baptist Church, you can see where the Westboro Baptist Church, I mean, they protest the funerals of men who died in combat, and they call them all kinds of names and slurs, and they do this to the family of these soldiers who died in combat. They do this at the funerals. I mean, 
that's one of the sacred groups among the right wing. And I mean, I think if you're going to have a sacred group, soldiers, you know, that warrior idea, there's a reason why that's always there. There's a reason why that's always placed very highly. So I don't think that the right wing fundamentalist groups are wrong for putting soldiers on a pedestal. Because if you're going to put anybody on a pedestal, soldiers seem like the people to do that, you know, among other people, but still soldiers, pretty good bet. Uh, but so it's like here you have the Westboro Baptist Church attacking deceased soldiers and their families, you know, and not attacking physically, because I think that's an important thing about them, too, is they're not out to incite violence that I know of. They just have this really harsh approach that's designed primarily to get them attention, because it's not entirely clear what they think or why they think what they think. You know, for the, you know, in a great the best example of that is like the protesting of the soldiers' funeral. So it's like they have such severe oppositional defiance. Their oppositional defiance is so out of control that they don't even let the other right wing fundamentalist Christians agree with them because it's like, oh yeah, you know, we have everything in common. Let's band together. And it's like, well, we're going out to picket a soldier's funeral tomorrow, so we'll we'll get to we'll get, we'll be in touch after that. You know, it's like that's not a way that you're going to make friends. So they really seem designed to alienate as many people as possible, but they, they're also designed to soak in all that attention. So it really it's one of those things though where if you don't want people like that to have a platform, don't give them the attention because it's the attention that gives them a platform. But I also think that you know, I think giving people a platform. I think the idea that people shouldn't have a platform comes from this almost it comes from this belief that people are so stupid that they're going to be susceptible to anything they are told and maybe there's some truth to that I don't know. I don't have that low of an opinion of people but you know I think we should give things platforms and even if some people are converted by some unhealthy or bad way of thinking I think the number of people who are going to be repelled by it are far greater. I don't know. It's it is it's an interesting topic though. I mean, like what you know, it's it's basically decides like what kind of stuff do you want to be exposed to? What kind of stuff do we want you know, do we you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Like what do you want to surround yourself with? But I I know for sure that if you decide that your job is to argue with Westboro Baptist Church and tell them how they're wrong and let everybody else know how you're right. You know, that's a great way of giving them attention but also keeping Shit you don't like in your life. You know, and of course, I don't think there's anybody who follows the Westboro Baptist Church around like Grateful Dead fans just to argue with them. But you do see where people just, they can't, they can't just let a group like that speak for itself, which they do. You know, Westboro Baptist Church absolutely speaks for itself. You don't really need to add in your own editorial. What these guys think isn't right. These horrible, hateful, hostile views, I've got to make sure everybody knows I don't agree with them. You know, there's, we have this need to do that. Be like, you know, if we're going to give a platform to something, you have to aggressively assert how much you disagree with it. But I always felt like Louis Theroux was really good at challenging people and asking questions without any moral posturing. That's one thing I've always liked about Louis is just that he... Didn't, you know, he would stand for what he believed in. He wasn't one of these people who pretends to be like them. I mean, he would omit things to, you know, so that he would get the, a deeper scoop and all that. But 
I don't feel like he was manipulative. And you do see that. You see that in documentaries. You do see that in TV shows where there's this deliberate manipulation. And it can be interesting to see that. Like someone pretends. It's like an undercover role, things like that. But I always felt like Louis was pretty straight up about who he was. But that said, the whole point of this is this quote from this documentary where they're doing a Q&A with Fred Phelps, the head of the Westboro Baptist Church. And they're doing this Q&A with him. And after a certain point, he starts answering every question with, asked and answered. They ask him another question, asked and answered. And that just becomes his go-to, like his auto-reply. And it's it's stayed with me ever since. And you could tell everyone was kind of taken aback by it. And it didn't sound like something that he was saying for the first time. It sounds like he had said that exact phrase. It sounded like that was a quote that he... That sounds like, like it was a Fred Phelps quote that he had at the ready to questions that he doesn't want to answer. And the funny part about it, too, is I'm pretty sure a bunch of the questions hadn't been asked before. Maybe none of them. But he just decided to start responding to each one with, asked and answered. And it was just, it was just total, a total shutdown. It just totally shut everybody else down. It stayed with me ever since. And what made me think of it today, actually, it was funny. I was on a walk, and the, the sunset was just beautiful. And I, I was looking at it, and I was just like, that's the real, you know, that's the final and only fact checker right there. That's the only fact checker I'll ever need is just looking at the sky, you know, looking at sun, the sunset, you know, and that's a poem, you know, I, I wrote that poem and it's, it's going to be published. Uh, it's, it's a PP. It's going to be a published poem and it goes, <laughs> it goes, uh, the sky is the only fact checker. I will ever need. And that's going to be broken up on like three different lines. And that's the poem. The sky is the only fact checker I'll ever need. But I did have that thought where I was like, that's the only fact checker. It's the final and only fact checker. And then I just, for some reason, that Fred Phelps quote just popped into my mind. And I imagined at the mo in that moment, though, I didn't remember that it was Fred Phelps because sometimes that quote comes to me asked and answered. Sometimes it'll pop into my head and I don't immediately remember what it's from. I don't immediately think Fred Phelps, and then, you know, once I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that came from Fred Phelps. But I was imagining the sky itself saying that today. I was looking up at this beautiful sky, and I was imagining just some human, like, pleading his case or asking the sky a question about some small human thing. And I was imagining the sky just responding with, asked and answered. And this human is just so confused, doesn't know what that means. And finds out later that it's a Fred Phelps quote. And they're like, the sky quoted Fred Phelps. <laughs> like, I, I didn't, I wasn't looking for that. You know, I, that's what happens when you ask a question. You never know. The sky suddenly quotes Fred Phelps. That's why you shouldn't ask questions. Which is why my quote, my own variation of that quote is, Never asked, never answered. Never asked and never answered. That's my own personal motto. If you never ask it, nobody will ever answer, try to answer the question to the question you never asked. The question you never asked. Asked and answered. But yeah, the sky made me think of that quote, which is funny. How do you write your poems? How do you write your poems? Well, I, I just look to the sky, and the sky writes them. And what is what what sort of messages does the sky send to you? 
asked and answered. Sounds a little bit like this. Asked and answered. <laughs> what, is the, what does the sky sound like? Asked and answered, boy. I didn't need that boy in there. Didn't need that. <laughs> it turns out nature has this just awful, monstrous voice. Asked and answered. Asked and answered. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Asked and answered. But it's a great quote. It's something that comes to my brain. It's something that I should I should work that into my daily life more. It's so off-putting. Like if if a friend of yours or a coworker or just somebody in your life asked you a mundane question, but you know something that they wanted to know the answer to, you know, where's the shovel? Hey, do you know where the shovel is at? And you asked and answered. Asked and just it's a good response to anything. It's better than not responding at all. It's a lot more polite to give a response, asked and answered. And that also, it's almost like a form of psychological warfare in and of itself. It's because it's like, it forces you to second guess yourself. Because you'd be like, did I ask that? And did he answer it? <laughs> and did I just forget? Was I not paying attention? Was I doing that thing where I ask a question and then I suddenly tune out and start thinking about something else? And by the time they're done answering the question, I wasn't listening. And now I can't continue the conversation. You know, was I doing that? I don't know, you know, or is Fred Phelps just not answering it? You know, it makes you play games in your own mind. Like, he knows what he's doing. Fred Phelps knows if he asked it and answered it. or he, Fred Phelps knows if you asked it and he answered it. And he also knows if he's just saying that to fuck with you. But you don't, so you're the one. Your mind goes all kinds of places. Am I, you know, did I miss it? But... That's how you become like him. <laughs> Somebody did that to him. You think about the cycle of abuse. People think, oh, Fred Phelps just decided to be a dick one day. Fred Phelps just decided to start a weird clan based around Old Testament style, you know, this like strict, austere Old Testament style thinking and hate for people's, uh, you know, alternate lifestyle choices. And he just decided to be that someday. No. It all happened to him first. One day he was asking too many questions, and somebody in his life said, asked and answered. And, you know, that's how, you, that's how it gets in your head, in the same way that it's in my head now. This thing, man, it's like a disease. Well, what's the disease called? It's called asked and answered. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to, I can't keep doing it. <laughs> it's addictive. This is just a warning. You know, you see warning labels. I don't believe in disclaimers, but I do believe in a warning from the heart. I believe in a sincere warning from the heart. And this is my warning to you. If you start thinking about that phrase, and I mean, I especially have to warn you, if you watch the documentary with Fred Phelps where he says this, you might start thinking about it. You might start thinking about the phrase asked and answered. And it, it might become a part of your, it might be the thing you say most. It might be, you know, with your family, everyone you know. It becomes a part of you, man. Asked and answered. 
No, I'm done. I, that, that's the last one. Once you get to the whisper point, once you start doing whisper screams, once the little like baby demon voice <laughs> you know comes out, then you can just that's when a joke is dead. That's when something is just gone. Until it's reborn with the, the original voice. Until the idea is reborn, which is how it lives. The idea, it becomes reborn, which is how it lives. Asked and answered. It's self-perpetuating. It's like a motor that runs on... Uh, it's, like, it's like a motor that runs on its own self-creating fuel. It create the fuel. It, it creates its own. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it creates. It's uh, it's like the combust internal combustion engine. That's what it is. The internal combustion engine, and that'd be a good description of a guy like Fred Phelps. And he was a real internal combustion engine of a man. He was a real. He was a real internal combustion engine of a man. That's an internal combustion engine of a man. Takes one to know one. Spontaneous combustion. Opposed to planned. Opposed to planned arson. It's not it's it's not arson if it's spontaneous combustion. But, uh, yeah, the other quote that I had was from childhood. And, you know, childhood, I think you're just in such a raw state. For whatever reason, childhood stories are, I don't know, they just have a certain place. And even though I've had fun adventures and I've known interesting people as an adult, I think kids just react more naturally. Kids are, are also in the ritual where, you know, each year you're in a different grade and your body is changing very rapidly your interests are changing rapidly, you know, so there's a lot of change, and even if you're not paying attention to it because you're just living your life, other people are always mentioning to it to you, and you're always told that, like, next year you're going to be called something else. You know, next year, you know, if as long as you don't fail, you know, you're going to go on to fifth grade, and you're not going to be a fourth grader, and there's this measurable difference. In your mind, there's this measurable difference between a fourth and a fifth grader even though you're just months apart from the two, you know, even though it's just a month, like that interim is this huge, and summer, you know, summer is this this break between fourth and fifth grade, and you, even if you don't have noticeable changes in your life, it's like mentally that there's a weird metamorphosis where it's like, I'm going into fifth grade. And then you have other ritualistic milestones, graduations, and those are very ceremonial. And some people, if they don't attend a graduation ceremony, they don't even feel like they graduated. They need that kind of closure. They need that kind of... They just need that, and it's understandable. I mean, I didn't go to my high school or college graduations. You know, at some point, I just decided it wasn't for me, and fortunately, I have a good sense of how I've changed, I guess. I guess I didn't need those markers, for better or worse. And I think there's some value to that. There's a value to going through the ritual of it all, um... But you don't need it to know that things are changing. You don't need it to know that you're not going back to college next semester, that you're done with high school. You don't need a graduation ceremony to know that you're done with high school. Um, 
but uh, anyway, so I don't know, just stories from childhood. And by that, I mean everything from when I was very young through teenage years. You know, all of that is just childhood to me. But I do feel like because people's identities are changing, you know, their bodies are changing, it's just the state where nobody's really holding on to too much of themselves at that point. Nobody really has this firm sense of who they are. But yeah, people do have distinct personalities, you know, so of course there's that. But it's just people don't have this firm sense of what life is for that matter. So I feel like kids react in a much more natural and interesting way in a lot of ways. And that's why I think some of the some of my favorite stories do come from childhood. But this one in particular, you know, this long story short, uh, you know, my friend Ryan, and he passed away when I was, you know, 16, when he was 16. And uh, his house was the house... We're just, there was a couple summers, maybe one summer for sure. We were 11 or 12 years old, and that summer was just, there were always at least four to seven people staying the night on any given night, and we were just, there was tons of mischief, you know, a fridge full of Pepsi, a fridge full of Pepsi, all kinds of, we would watch, you know, the Cinemax softcore porn movies, like, a man, it was Emanuela in space, there was something like that, you know, one of the, like, Poison Ivy 3, something like that. There were all kinds of things. We'd sneak out. We'd go cause gentle havoc. We'd wreak gentle havoc, I guess is the way I'd put it. You know, we wouldn't really do anything bad. We wouldn't really break any laws. We were just 12-year-olds running around in the middle of the night checking things out. I mean, that's what it comes down to is we were just checking things out, out and about, seeing what the night world had to offer. And that was always a lot of fun. But, you know, at these sleepovers, we would, of course, stay up, you know, almost all night until the until it was light out for sure. And there was this kid, though, that would come to a lot of them. And, you know, a couple of us, a few of us had been friends with him, but not super close. And the, the host, Ryan, you know, the guy whose house it was, he was a closer friend to this kid. I think they played sports together and that kind of thing. But we always knew him was kind of the way, you know, we'd gone to birthday parties, that kind of thing. But he was one of those kids who went to bed super early, and I think he was probably forced to. His parents probably made him go to bed early, but this continued to sleepovers. You know, even those Pepsis couldn't keep him awake. And and I'm not talking about somebody who's crashing out at midnight. I'm talking about him falling asleep at like 9 o'clock. He was going to bed ridiculously early and didn't seem to understand why we were staying up and being so rowdy and just, you know, doing what we were doing, you know. He just, he, it just, it didn't really make sense to him. And he just, and it wasn't like, cause I mean, I was, I've been in that position at sleepovers growing up where, you know, you want to stay up with everybody, but you're just really tired and you pass out. I mean, it's not much different from partying later on, you know, just minus the alcohol. It's just that some, sometimes you just can't keep going as late as everybody else. But this kid, it was just habit. He went to bed super early. And of course, eventually we decided to start fucking with him. You know, we decided to start messing with him. Somebody wrote something on his foot once, and he, he saw it when he got up to go to the bathroom. We would drop pillows on him, and not just any pillows. They were like these heavy futon pillows. They were like medicine balls. They were really heavy. You know, not enough to—they're not going to, like, crush his skull or something horrible, you know, but, like, they're definitely not pleasant. They're not like your typical down pillow that's going to barely wake him, you know. These were definitely—one of them, I remember, was one of those big pillows that has, like, those little arms on it. It was just like one of those big, heavy pillows that you're just supposed to like. I don't even know. You like el- there's like little tiny arms for your elbows on those. Like somebody dropped one of those, and he would get really mad. You know, he started to get really mad at us. 
sometimes he would barely stir, like he would just turn, you know, you could tell we didn't really wake him up and that was always funny. But of course, you know, the desirable outcome was his anger, you know, which came pretty soon and he would, he would get mad at us. You know, it wasn't like somebody was like, oh yeah, I, I fall asleep early. You know, that makes me a prime target for a bunch of people who are already, you know, causing mischief. And, uh, but he would get sincerely mad and there was one time in particular, and this is the other quote I wanted to get to, but there was one time where we were just messing with him all night. We were relentless. I mean, there was even one time where someone, like, grabbed him and the other person, like, kicked him. And I, not to hurt him. It was, it was, I feel like it was all pretty gentle. But somebody did, you know, kind of kick him and we were messing with him. But one night it just was out of hand. You know, we were just, I think we started throwing garbage on him. <laughs> you know, we were throwing, like, empty pop cans and whatever we were consuming, which is just, that's just like the ultimate, uh, I mean, uh, I am not proud of that. You know, I'm not proud of throwing garbage on this kid. It's not like it was filthy garbage, but still, I mean, just the, the sign of disrespect that, that, you know, oh yeah, you remember that time that we threw garbage on someone to show our gratitude toward them? No, it's, you throw garbage on somebody because you're just disgusted. And we kind of were. I think that's where it all came from. I think we were disgusted that this kid would go to bed so early at a just... We I think we knew... We treated those nights like they were our golden years. You know, we just lived in them. You know, we were in the moment, but at the same time, I think we were all aware of, you know, the magic of it. And so I think there was a maybe a certain level of disgust. Like, this kid is... Uh, who am I? I'm trying to justify our abuse of the of this kid at a sleepover but you know one night we just like tossed garbage on him and then i remember finally my friend's little brother he would stay over with us and he was four years younger so he was like seven or eight years old at the oldest but he was one of us you know we treated him and he would stay up all night he was uh he was fun you know he was he was a you know a little master of mischief himself it was fun but he, I, like, at one point, I think he, like, he or somebody else farted on this kid. And we weren't gross guys. You know, we didn't do gross things to each other. But that just shows you garbage. We weren't the kind of guys who throw garbage and, like, fart on somebody, you know. But, yeah, here we were. But somebody did that once. And then finally, you know, the little brother, he, and think of him, he was tiny. Like, he was even small for his age. So he was seven or eight, but he was this tiny kid like the size of a six-year-old practically. And <laughs> he took one of the big pillows and I think he just like dropped it on this kid's, you know, sleeping face. And the kid just shot up. He was asleep, but it was like he had been bothered so many times on this given night that he was just ready. His body was just like filled with energy already. And uh, he just shot up and he got, you know, within inches. And it was a dark room, but he got within inches of the little brother's face and he was just seething. And he goes, do you even know what sleep is? Do you even know what sleep is? You know, it was like, I, you know, I can't possibly do his voice. I can't possibly do a proper impersonation of this kid. But it was like, he was like an old man morphing into a beast. He had shed his 12-year-old body. And it was like the most angry old man just beyond frustration. This powerless, frustrated old man just feeling just so much anger but then morphing into this beast where it's like the is that do you even know what sleep is there was definitely a growl at the end it was he reminded me of a dad like if you ever had a sleepover at somebody's house and you kept waking the dad up and he had to get up early for you know work and he's he's just getting frustrated with you it was kind of like that vibe with this kid where he just shed his youth 
I saw, I saw a man shed his youth. It's a poem. I saw, I saw a boy shed his youth. He was covered in garbage. I saw a boy shed his youth. He was covered in garbage. He had been disrespected. They were disgusted at, by him. <laughs> That's my poem. No, but you know, it's not like I don't think we were truly cruel. It was kids, you know, it was kid stuff. It, it, it never verged on, like, hurting this kid or even trying to, like, insult him or really hurt his feelings. Although I do remember, I think he had gotten his first girlfriend or there was a girl that he liked, and I think we ran with that pretty far. You know, I mean, you can only say so much at that age, so it wasn't like we could only say so much, but that was definitely just a way to rib him. I think even just saying her name, I think that's what it ended up being, is even just saying her name. And, of course, we were annoying little bastards, but, you know, I feel like some gold, some good, some good gold came out of it. Good gold. Is this gold? Is this gold? Is this some? Is this gold good? Is this some good gold? I do feel like good gold, and that gold was the quote, do you even know what sleep is? Do you even know what sleep is? I'm trying to get, find the right voice. See, if I had been taking a nap before this podcast and somebody violently woke me up with a pillow on my face, a heavy medicine ball of a pillow being dropped right on my face, like if somebody had dis- disturbed me from a deep sleep right before I did this podcast, I'd be able to get the inflection just right because I'd be feeling exactly the way this kid felt, this poor fucking kid. And it got to the point where, and this didn't go on, I mean, this happened maybe a handful of times, but... It got to the point where we were kind of bored one night, and then we asked our friend Ryan, we were like, can you call that kid and invite him? That's when the sadism starts. Because before it was just like, oh, this if this kid happens to be there, oh, and it's, he's falling asleep really early every night, and we kind of feel like that that's an affront to us. And to tax him, we'll torture him a little bit. We'll drop pillows and shit on his, on his face. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with the... When we got to the point where we were asking Ryan to call this kid just so that we could have entertainment, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's how sadism starts. And fortunately, the kid kind of got, you know, we still hung out with him. I think sometimes it wasn't like he disappeared completely. But I remember he, he became more reluctant to stay over there for this den of freaking wolves. Do you even know what sleep is? That never left me. And the sincerity of it. You know, it's one thing for someone to scream that at a seven-year-old's face, this tiny little seven-year-old, to him in that moment getting woken up by this kid, and it wasn't like they were close. You know, my friend's little brother knew him and stuff, but it's not like they were close, you know. Like, if it had been me and the little brother, like, I was, like, more like another brother to him. I was very close to this family. But this other kid that we were tormenting, tormenting, not torturing, not abusing, we were just tormenting him. Just good old-fashioned hellish torment. Good old-fashioned hellish torment. That's all it was. But, uh, the, you know, if the, if the little brother had done it to me, it would have been... Di- and I was, like, seething with anger because I was kind of like a brother to the little kid. But these guys, they weren't particularly close, which made it that much funnier. I think in this kid's eyes, the little brother was like this little monkey demon. And this demon was just trying to steal his sanity. One pillow, you know, one little... You know, one thing at a time. You know, in that moment, just everything that wasn't working out about that night, (laughs) being tormented by your friends in the middle of the night, you know, I think in that single moment, all of that was just channeled into this, just this question, asked and answered. That would have been a good response. 
do you even know what sleep is? Asked and answered. I think when you drop a, a heavy medicine ball of a pillow on someone's face, what you are saying to them is asked and answered. No, I don't know what sleep is. Do I look like I'm sleeping? I don't know what sleep is. Here, have another medicine ball on your face. Here, have another thick and heavy pillow dropped on you. Have, have, some, have some more garbage. I, I have more garbage to throw your way. We're drinking Pepsis all night, you know. Drinking pep, Pepsi all night. We're drinking Pepsi all night, man. You know what kind of party this is? We're drinking Pepsis all night. All night. But we don't like people who fall asleep early. We like the friends who don't fall asleep early, although we ended up preferring this. <laughs> you know, it's like like what started out as sort of a punishment for not staying awake with everybody else ended up being almost more fun. It's like now we have someone that we can torment. No, but I prob- I'm probably making it sound more cruel than it was. That I'd say that night where he got to the point of just seething anger, when that dad old man, when that aging dad meets, you know, unhinged animal anger. When you're screaming, it doesn't matter if you're only 12 years old. When you have that tone of voice and you're screaming in a seven-year-old's face, something hasn't worked out <laughs> that particular evening, you know. Um, uh, but uh, asked and answered, do you even know what sleep is? Remember those. I remember them, you know. I remember those quotes. Those are part of those cycle through my life. Those cycle through my head. Asked and answered. And do you even know what sleep is? I should use that on somebody, you know. I, I, but I wouldn't be able to. Like I said, this kid, he was so sincere, and that's why I like kid stories, you know. In the same way that adults like these precocious children who say things, and it's like, oh, he doesn't even know what he meant, or or the things kids say, which are funny, you know. It's not, not like a, you know. Nobody's allowed to find kids funny. Nobody's allowed to find kids funny. Not when I'm around. You know, it's not like I have that attitude. <laughs> Although that guy, I guess that guy exists. Uh, but, you know, like, the stuff from the mouth of babes, I mean, that stuff is very funny. But it's especially funny, you know, when you are a kid. Like, it's funny to be an adult and hear the shit that kids come up with. But I guess there's something special to me about being a kid and hearing a kid say something it's like a similar story as like I had this other friend who, and my friend Nick he stayed over at his house one night. It was the first time he stayed over there. And my friend Nick, he's, a, he's very creative and he's, he's funny and he comes up with lots of his own brand of humor. You know, he's very good, uh, very funny. And he, I guess he was just making something. He was probably riffing on something. And this other kid he was staying with just looked at him and goes, where do you come up with this stuff? That tone of voice, too, you know, minus the accent, of course, but it was that tone of voice. I wasn't there for this, but I heard about it because it was just when another kid talks like that, when another kid channels that, you know, do you even know what sleep is? Where do you come up with this stuff? I love it. (laughs) Where do you come up with this stuff? It's a good question. Asked and answered. 
See, you can respond. See, that uh, this is the self-perpetuating machine. This is the internal combustion engine that I was making reference to earlier. It means that, you know, quotes like, uh, where do you come up with this stuff? And do you know what sleep is? Those can be answered with asked and answered. You know, it's a, it feeds itself here. It's an ecosystem. What we have here is an ecosystem of language. Asked and answered. It seems to run off of this phrase. Asked and answered. <laughs> the moment that you the moment that you saw my brain officially depart. The moment my brain flew away with little wings. It all started with asked and answered. And that seed was planted a long time ago. That's my defense, is the seed of asked and answered was planted a long time ago. But I mean, between us, I, I only hope I hope it grows more. If that's you know, if that seed's gr still growing, I hope it grows a little bit more. It turns out that's the way you know, like you'll you'll see where like there's certain. I mean, it's, it's self help in general, but you'll see where there's certain forms of self help that are focused entirely on female empowerment. And if that's helpful for people, you know, hey. You know, it's great. Here's my disclaimer. If that's helpful for people, I'm not knocking it. But a lot of it's based around, you know, I'm a strong, independent woman and nobody can stop me. I'm a strong, independent woman and nobody can stop me. You know, it's a lot of it's that kind of attitude. Beyonce, survivor. I'm a survivor. You know, there's this sort of, uh, you know, I'm going to do it on my own. Isn't that, is that Laverne and Shirley? Is that, is that the opening theme? It's one of those shows. You know, and it's that's a powerful statement for anybody. You know, being able to do something on your own, being finding your own inner strength. But uh, I would like to see female empowerment classes. I would like to see you know the female empowerment industry take a shift toward you know some some alternate approaches of that same mentality. And one is you know when you learn to set boundaries, because a lot of that stuff is based around that. A lot of self help. A lot of that is around learning how to set the right boundaries. When your mother-in-law talks to you that way, reminded that she's not your mom, she just happens to be your husband's mother, and you don't need to listen to her after all. And then go have yourself a glass of wine. You know, uh, you know. While that's a valuable lesson, I think that you could just instead teach people asked and answered. I recognize that was a really elaborate and somewhat treacherous build-up for a stupid joke. It's like, oh, he's talking about, he's giving some kind of, you know, oh, he's, he's mansplaining, uh, listen, he's, he's mansplaining what happens at female empowerment classes. No, I'm not. I'm actually saying, I'm trying to give helpful advice. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to give helpful advice, and that is asked and answered. Someone's giving you shit? Like, imagine if you're a husband and your wife, you're giving your what you're complaining to your wife. Your voice is getting really high-pitched and whiny, and you don't resemble the man she married. In fact, you barely resemble a man. And she's just putting up with your shit. And it really is shit. <laughs> uh, she's putting you up with you. You're high-pitched whining. And then, and you you ask her something. Eh, was there uh, was there anything for me in the mail? 
And she says, uh, asked and answered. Asked and answered. What do you think that husband's going to do? He's going to cower. He's going to learn a lesson. He's going to learn a lesson in that exact moment. If your wife says in response to something you say, asked and answered, you know that that's a woman who's taking no more of your shit. So drop your voice down, you know, lower register, cut out the complaining, and think. And just do some thinking. Asked and answered. Imagine saying that to your family. Imagine saying that to anybody. Imagine how good you'd feel. Imagine being the type of person who can say asked and answered to somebody when they ask you a question and them respecting it, thinking that they're the one with the problem. They think, that they think it's their fault. They think it's their fault. Maybe I, maybe, maybe I did ask it. In the same way that, you know, when you, for, you don't know if you closed your garage, you don't know if you turned your oven off when you left the house. For me, it's always the garage. You know, you don't remember if you closed the garage and, it, you know, you just like, ah, I better go back and check. If someone says, asked and answered to you, there's going to be a moment of doubt. There's going to be a moment where you think, did I ask it and did he answer it? You know, if I'm capable of not knowing whether I closed the garage when I left the house, you know, I might not know if I asked a question and answered it. You get into that self-doubt, and that's that's the brilliance. <laughs> that is the brilliance of asked and answered. And, you know, if I, if I get famous for this idea, you know, I'm, I'm, cutting, the, I'm cutting the check with... Fred Phelps. I think he's dead. Never mind. It's mine. Aston answered with a, a copyright symbol afterward. Be a good name for a... Uh, no, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Uh, there's that thing people do when someone says something and it's usually something random and someone goes, oh, that would make a good band name. And you think, yeah, if they were like a... a a local ska band in 1995. You know, it's like, oh, that, that would be an amazing band name. That'd be an amazing band name. The Leapin', you know, the Leapin' Jaguars. It's like, yeah, you're the best ska band in your 2,000-person town. Uh, it's, a, it's a mean comment. It's a mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a mean comment, but, uh, you know, in the same way asked and answered, you know, it'd be one, it'd be great if when Fred Phelps said on, on TV in the interview, asked and answered, if a light bulb had went off in my head and I was like, that'd be, that'd be a great band name. Hey, we're at, we're ask, <laughs> I don't even know what it is anymore. Hey, everybody, we're asked and answered. We're from uh, we're from California. Uh, thanks for coming out. Every song is just called "Asked and Answered." Asked and answered. <laughs> okay, the whisper scream. No, truly, the whisper screams are when you know you're done. 
And that's another quote. You know, since this episode, it's kind of been about quotes. It's been about quotes that inspire me. Do you even know what sleep is? Asked and answered. In that same way, I think that this show should end with a brand new quote. A brand quote, a brand new quote that comes from me, and that's, once the whisper screams start, you know it's done. You know you're done. Once, once you start doing an impersonation of somebody where you're doing either a whisper falsetto or a whisper scream or anything like that, and I know I catch myself doing it, it's hard not to do it sometimes, but anytime that you find yourself just doing a character, this is a PSA here. This is important. And if you, if you find yourself doing either like a falsetto yell or a, a scream as some form of impersonation and it's, wi- and it's whispered, it's just don't do it. Uh, it's, I'm almost tempted to do it right now just to, set, to show the example, to show you what it sounds like. It's like, for me, that's like putting my own hand on a hot stove just to show the kid what happens, <laughs> you know? It's like, a, I'm, I'm going to torture myself here just to show the kid. Like, I'm imagining, like, your kid, you're trying to teach your kid what happens on a stove, and so you put your own hand on the stove and just scream, a whisper scream. That's not going to traumatize your kid. <laughs> See, I did it. See, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think you're following your own rules there. You said once the whisper scream starts, that things are things got to end. That means it's over. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can